but it's good to have you here tonight. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and uh, we'll get into the study. Father, thank you, God, that we can meet together. God, thank you for each person here tonight. God, thank you for this family of believers. God, thank you that you're working in our lives by your grace. And God, I thank you for the material tonight, for your word. God, I pray that you will continue to conform us to your image. God, may you unify us as a body. May we serve you and serve one another with all of our hearts. And may it be a joy and not a burden to us. So we pray you'll strengthen us. Pray you'll open our hearts tonight and our minds to your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are continuing the study, Living as a Church, and tonight is predominantly about service. This is the 11th session already, and so I'm actually hoping to take all this material and put it into like a membership book for everybody that's interested in the church or is interested in joining the church. That will be sometime down the road, but it is available on Facebook. Is it Facebook or uh, sermon audio. Maybe it may be sermon audio now. Both. Okay. All right. So we're in eleventh session, serving and giving. But it's really talking about serving because giving is serving. And so basically, as we've said all the way through, you need your Bible, notebook, and pen, handouts. And if you don't have a handout, Ashton can help you out. He needs a. Not money. <laughs> and you need enthusiasm because we want to have a good time studying God's Word. It's exciting to learn of God's grace and how He works in our lives. And so, as we've said many times, we at Cornerstone Church believe in biblical covenant membership. And we attain to better understand on what it means to be a local church member and the church of Jesus Christ. Um, identity as a body, our responsibility, and our commitment. So tonight we're talking about service. What is service? So let's basically define it. It's very simple. But it's really spending yourself, your time, your gifts, your resources, your energy, all that you have for Christ and his body, his bride. So Christ's service Christ service is our model. Mark 10:45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So as far as service is concerned, he is our model who gave himself, who gave his life. Also Matthew 16:24, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So as his servants, as those who have been born again, we are those who have surrendered all to Christ. Believers are not people that's just said a particular prayer in a half-hearted way. We have truly entrusted ourselves, our souls to him, trusting in what he did for us. So our surrender to God through faith results in an overflow of love from our hearts 
because of the love that God has lavished on us. In other words, we love him because he first loved us. This is what unleashes ministry. If you don't have the first, ministry isn't going to matter. It's going to be going through the motions. This is what unleashes ministry. Our surrender to God and that overflow of love. An overflow of joy as we comprehend the incredible mercy Christ has shown us. So this evening we will consider how God has called us to serve one another in the church through our various gifts and how that service contributes to unity in the body of Christ, in, in our body in particular, our church, local church. This unity is an important part of our witness, a community full of people who joyfully serve one another will stick out in the world. People will see the difference. And sadly today, most churches, or many churches, we could say, do not have that testimony because they are self-serving. Um, they are really not serving one another as a body. We will start with a theology of service, then walk through four ways in which service can contribute to unity. And along the way, we'll pause and reflect on different ways we can get service wrong and fail to glorify God through it. So my hope is that through our discussion this evening, we'll spur, it will, this evening will spur us on to serve each other more and more for God's glory and the benefit of Christ's body. So let's begin tonight with 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. So carefully paying attention to God's word. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles or the utterance of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. That in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So here Peter gives us a basic summary of the theology of service or of ministry within the church. Very important text. And we can pull five points from those two verses. First, every Christian has received a spiritual gift. Gifts are not just for church leadership so that everybody else can passively watch. The second thing, your spiritual gift is a result of God's grace. Perfectly clear in this text and others. We are responsible, thirdly, to use our gift or gifts. Fourth, we should use it or them for the benefit of others and for the glory of God. They're not self-serving. We're not serving ourselves with our gifts. And fifth, we should serve through God's strength. We're not depending on our own strength. So let's go back to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, and read it again, because this is so important. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, 
let him speak speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So believers are empowered empowered by a special manifestation of God's grace by which we build up others in the faith and bring glory to God. So what's the purpose for service? Well, in the context of talking about offices in the church, those gifted men that serve in particular offices, Paul writing to the church at Ephesus says, The purpose is for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect or a a mature, complete man, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. So we are to minister to each other with a view not just to help each other mature, but with a view to the whole body growing in unity and maturity. So it's not, even though we want to care about one another, and we should, the ultimate goal is that the body of Christ at Cornerstone is matured and is unified. So again, what's the purpose of service? God gives us, God gives gifts to all of us according to his grace to be exercised in his strength, not primarily as a means of helping each other as individuals, but for the maturing of his church that we might grow in unity. And that will be our focus tonight. Now, we've got seven things called service gone wrong. The first one is next. A person feels entitled to serve in precisely the way they believe they've been gifted and fears that they can't find fulfillment as a Christian if they're not serving in that exact way. The problem with this is they have misunderstood the purpose. It's about the body as a whole. Certainly, we want to use our gifts that God has given us and our talents. And we'll make a little distinction a little bit later between spiritual gifts and talents. But the ultimate goal is for the body as a whole. It's not to serve me and it's not to serve you. So the purpose and or the goal purpose of service is, again, based on our text, to unify and mature the body, not our personal fulfillment. We must serve where the body needs strengthening. The fact that God gives us gifts to use in service should not limit us to what we do. Rather, it equips us to do what needs to be done. We can be wrong about what gift or gifts we think God has given us. Far better to roll up our sleeves and give and get serving than to sit around and wonder what our gift is. Because the goal of service is unity and the maturing of the body. So it's very important that we understand that we serve even outside of our spiritual gifts. Uh, 
somebody has the gift of giving, just that abundant ability to give beyond what is natural or what Christians would particularly do in their giving. That doesn't mean everybody shouldn't give. Same thing with serving. Same thing with encouragement and the various gifts that we'll talk about. And another point in relation to this, we often discover our gifts as we serve in the body. No matter what we're doing, they become obvious through time. So again, the goal and purpose of service, we do not discover our gifts through a test. There's a lot. I used to have a test, believe it or not, and I used it in ministry in Canada. But that's not how you discover a spiritual gift. That's not. If that was the way God wanted us to discover it, he would have put the test in his word. But he did not, did he? When we genuinely seek God's leading through prayer, fellowship, studying God's word, and through the teaching of God's servant, our gifts will become obvious in time. It might not happen overnight, but God will make those things apparent to you through those various means. And again, even serving can help us clarify the gifts as well. So what are, and this is something that I've inserted because I wanted to give a little bit of clarity here, but what are the spiritual gifts? And I want to show you how I divide them up. If you want to debate it, I'll get with you and we will debate it. I'd love to. Just kidding. Maybe not, but I will, I will discuss it with you. What's that? We got, we, I got all night, brother. <laughs> so what, the first thing is this. If I get this to work, signs revelatory, and I'm going to explain that. These are temporary gifts. Sign gifts and revelatory are gifts that gave revelation, supernatural revelation. Okay, so some are one thing and some are another. Some are both, actually, of these two things. Apostleship, we don't have apostles. You had to actually see the resurrected Christ to be an apostle. Miracles was a, not, well, this is not working. Miracles was a temporary gift. We see that that ceased by the end of the first century. Same thing with healing. God heals today. But God doesn't give men the gift of healing. My brother was healed of muscular dystrophy. People prayed. Nobody laid hands on him, but people all over prayed. God, he's the only person I know of in history that's been healed. There could be others. I just don't know about them. But the only person I know of healed from muscular dystrophy. He was only supposed to live to 12. And he's like 53, 54 now. But these are revelatory gifts in, in that, that they give revelation. The gift of prophecy is actually used in two senses in Scripture. One is giving new revelation, and the other is foretelling revelation that's already been revealed. Another temporary gift is tongues, and I'm going to show you why I believe that in just a minute. Along with that, interpretation of tongues and the gift of knowledge. So let me show you in a moment what I'm talking about. For one, as you look at church history, these gifts ceased 
about the end of the first century. You can read, I've read through church history, a lot of those ancient documents right back to the second century. You do not see tongues, you do not see healings, you do not see miracles uh, practiced after the end of the first century. You see a resurgence in something called tongues in the 1800s, but it's totally different than the biblical tongues. Try this. And another thing that's important to understand, when it comes to gifts like tongues or healings, what we see practiced today, practiced today, is also practiced in other religions like Hindu. Uh, they're doing the same thing that some Christians are doing, and it looks identical. Okay, so let's go on. I want to take you for a moment, and we're getting a little sidetracked here, but I just could not deal with this material without dealing with this. Revelatory gifts. It says, Paul writing to the church at Corinth says, Love never fails, 1 Corinthians 13, 8. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away with. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away with. I apologize, I do not know. Let me see if it makes a difference if I put it in the other side. I'm having computer problems lately. Maybe that will help. So, prophecy, it says, it will be done away with. It means it'll be rendered idle or inoperative. That's the Greek word, rendered inoperative. Tongues is different. Tongues will cease. It means come to an end. And knowledge is just like prophecy. It will be done away with, rendered idle or inoperative. Okay, so the question is, when does this happen? Prophecy is in the, in English, we have, we have active voice and passive voice. If, if uh, I hit the ball is active voice, the subject does the action. The ball hit me is the passive voice. This, the, the action is done to the subject. I was hit by the ball. In the Greek, you have the middle voice, uh, like I hit myself. It's middle voice. So the action is done to me or for me in the Greek text. Well, prophecy is in the passive. Something is going to stop. It's going to render it inoperative. Tongues is in the middle voice. It's going to happen all by itself. Knowledge is in the passive force, just like prophecy. Something's going to render it inoperative. Let's continue in that passage, because he's going to tell us exactly what's going to render it inoperative. In verse 9, we looked at verse 8, For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect is teleos, when the complete, he's comparing that which is in part to that which is complete. When the complete comes, that's the primary uh, meaning of teleos, is the word complete, completion. When the completion comes, the partial will be done away with. 
When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, obscurely, that's the word, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully just as I am as also have been fully known. So we see a couple of things here. It's that which is in part. They had partial revelation. That's why they needed prophecy to give them more revelation. The revelation in the first century was being revealed. It was progressive revelation. They, it was in part until the word of God was completed. So, it's just like a child. He's not mature. He's not complete. He's not a full man. So, when he becomes a full man, the childish things are no longer needed. And the same thing with a mirror. The, word, the idea of a mirror is used to describe God's law or God's word in scriptures. So, it's like he's looking in a mirror obscurely because the whole mirror is not there. It's lacking. It's only like pieces of the puzzle are there. But then when the complete comes, there's no need for the individual pieces. So two things out of the three, two things will be stopped by the completion. Prophecy and knowledge. And that's exactly what happened. The other one will stop all by itself. The gift of tongues is going to stop. God's not going to stop it by giving the rest the full revelation it's going to stop all by itself how could tongues and the word actually implies ceasing in the sense of fizzling out so how could tongues cease all by itself god's not going to stop it the completion of god's word's not going to stop it it's going to stop all by itself how could it stop by itself there's only one answer that i've come up with Come on, man. (laughs) So as the people that had the gift in the first century, when it was needed, that it was a revelatory gift. As those people died off, it fizzled out. Boom, gone. And look at church history. If it was a real gift, where was it for 1,800 years after the first century? Show me in church history where the gift of tongues was. Now, I don't want to spend too much time on that. But there are some gifts that are operative today. Faith. An extra measure of faith. Discernment. Wisdom evangelism, teaching, the gift of teaching, the gift of prophecy in the sense of foretelling, exhortation, shepherding, serving, mercy, giving, and administration to which I do not have. (laughs) And I confess, 
It doesn't mean I don't have a responsibility to administrate, but I'm not good at it. I don't have a supernatural gift, I can tell you that. And I struggle. That's why I depend on John so much, and Chris, for that matter. Uh, I, not good. I don't understand why the Lord didn't give it to me, but he didn't. So, so using our talents is also service as well and can be benefited, benefited by our spiritual gifts. Like the gift of serving affects our talents. And a lot of times people confuse talents with spiritual gifts, but they're not the same thing. Talents can be developed. We might have a genetic makeup that leads to certain talents. Uh, spiritual gifts is a supernatural act of God given to us by the Spirit of God. Now, talents are things like the ability to sing, playing an instrument, cleaning. Some people are just good at it, like Vanessa. She is a cleaner. It's not a, you know, she might think it's supernatural. It seems to me that way sometimes. But it's actually a talent. Carpentry, cooking, social media skills, cleaning, child care, and the list. What did I do? Oh. <laughs> that is a very important talent gift. How's that? I don't know how I did that. I was copying and pasting and then adding and changing it. Okay. Given the goal of unity and maturing of the body, what should our service in the church look like? And what should our personal motive for service be? First of all, we should serve with God's strength and with great joy. Our goal shouldn't be mere good deeds, but good deeds done in a spirit that comes from a joyful dependence on God's help, God's strength. That's what glorifies God, not depending on ourselves. So again, we should serve with God's strength and great joy. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied or manifold grace. It comes from God. It's a gift. A couple of examples. One is an example of a spiritual gift. The second one is of a talent. But a lot of these principles apply to either one. Here's the first example. One man has a spiritual gift of teaching and offers to teach a Bible study, but has this attitude. God has gifted me to teach others, but I will have to give up basketball on that evening. I need to do this, but it's a huge sacrifice for me. He takes the study, but constantly complains how much he's sacrificing to teach the study. He prepares well, but his ministry isn't done in reliance on God's power, and his attitude gives the students the idea that he's grudgingly, that he's grudgingly gave up his basketball night. The second example, consider a second person who wants to use his talent to help with a work project. He's been quite ill lately. He thinks to himself, oh, how could I love how I would love to help with that project. Maybe I could encourage some of the downhearted, or maybe I could just hammer a few nails. 
So he prays. And as it turns out, he feels well enough to go help with the cleanup. So he does what he can with an attitude of service and a love for the Lord and his church. Which person has served the Lord with the right attitude? It's pretty obvious, right? 1 Corinthians 9, 7. And this is about giving, but it is applicable to the use of spiritual gifts and the use of talents. Each one must give as he has decided or purposed in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. We should always serve, not out of compulsion, but cheerfully. So we continue to think about God's strength and great joy. Service gone wrong, number two. Serving out of guilt rather than out of gratitude. Think of what guilt-driven service says about the things of God. It says service is not more valuable than other things in our life. But we'll do it anyway because we have to. The difference, this is funny, the difference is between letting perfume-laden Aunt Helga kiss you when you're a kid because you're supposed to and joyfully enduring a long journey to visit a relative when you're an adult because you genuinely, genuinely love that person. That's the difference. We've had those kind of experiences, haven't we? In this case, our love, in the case of service, our love is for the Lord and his body. If you love the Lord, you love the church. It is the body of Christ. It is the bride of Christ. So, question. What if we don't have the right attitude? What if you find yourself serving and discover that your attitude's not right? Should you quit? What do you think? That's good. Anybody else? It would help me. <laughs> Deaf. Well, I put this, and I agree with what's being said. It certainly depends on if it's a one-off event or a habit of life. If it's a one-off event, you deal with it. You don't just quit because you're struggling. Everybody struggles with not having the right attitude, by getting distracted, getting our eyes off the Lord about, you know, concerning what really matters. But if it's a long-term problem over time and you cannot deal with it, uh, there could come a point that it would be the right thing to do to stop until you get that dealt with. But don't stop trying to deal with it. Don't stop seeking help to deal with it. So, how can we serve in a way that promotes... Wait a minute. How should we serve in the knowledge that... I was looking at the wrong thing that everyone's service is needed and valuable. 
one obstacle to the body of Christ functioning in the way it should is when members feel useless and unimportant. This is an important point. 1 Corinthians 12, 17 through 19. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has arranged the parts, each one of them in the body, just as he desired. If they were all one part, where would the body be? There wouldn't be a body, just be a a bunch of the same parts. So what does this mean for us? The context is addressing spiritual gifts, but the principle applies to talents as well as spiritual gifts as well, obviously. This is where we come to service gone wrong, number three. The person who gives up serving because they don't see their contribution as important. We must never understand service to God as valuable primary be- primarily because of the temporary result, but because of what the sacrifice says about God's value to us. Which did Jesus say was more valuable? The widow's two copper coins, or the thousands given by the wealthy. It's not necessarily the big amount, the sacrifice, and it's not necessarily the most apparent gift, the gift that puts you in front of people. We need to serve in the knowledge that everyone's service is needed and valuable. Also, we should use our gifts and talents humbly. Somebody look up 1 Corinthians 12 and read verse 21 through 26 for me, please. Loudly. (laughs) So, okay, go ahead. Amen. Those in positions of greater responsibility or visibility in the church must not lord their authority over others or carry out their duties in with an duties with an air of superior superiority. So it involves humility on everybody's part. If you have a low position a service, maybe your spiritual gift is serving. That's not that visible of a thing necessarily. It can be, but let's suppose that it's not. That place that God has for you in the body is the most important place in the world for you. It's exactly where God wants you. Serving in the body in the way God has gifted you 
is more important than being a president or prime minister of a country. It is where God has placed you and he wants to use you there. So those who are in higher positions cannot look down on those that are in lower, because they're not lower. And those who are in a lower place of service, it's not lower in the eyes of God. It might be in the eyes of man, but it shouldn't be because every every service, every spiritual gift, and even every talent, our use within the body is for God's glory. And he's the one that has placed in the body where he chose us to be. So unity and service is impossible with like, without Christ-like humility on everyone's part. Our calling is to recognize and honor the service of all members, no matter how visible or invisible, no matter how seemingly significant or insignificant that service might appear to be. A great way for us to do this is to acknowledge the service of others, particularly in areas of ministry that are behind the scenes. And we don't want to give glory to people, but we should be thankful for the service that other people are providing. It's a way of encouraging one another. So encourage and express thanks to those serving in not so visible or honored positions because every position, every spiritual gift matters. And this is where we come to service gone wrong number four. How you ever that this right how you ever complain that others in the church aren't doing their fair have you supposed to say have you ever complained that others in the church aren't doing their fair share? Where does that attitude come from? Maybe a poor understanding of the constraints that others are working under. Maybe a proud heart that confuses personal worth with amount of service. Maybe an assumption that others are willfully neglecting service rather than compassionately giving the benefit of the doubt. That maybe they don't yet know how much joy comes from serving. In all of this, the solution is humility. Recognize you're not any better because you serve. We all alike deserve God's judgment, and yet he has rescued us so that we can now serve him. We've been rescued to serve. I'm trying to get in my mind, um, uh, Ephesians 2, um, 8, 9, and 10. Somebody start it for me. Save through faith, and that not of yourself is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. That God hath foreordained that we should walk in them. Getting rusty. <laughs> what can I say? <laughs> So we should use our gifts and talents humbly and we should serve to glorify God and to benefit others and ourselves. Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord and all it contains. The world and those who live in it. Everything is the Lord's, including our strength, 
and the time that he gives us to serve. And we're familiar with 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, right? Serving brings glory to God. It benefits others. Sharing the gospel through the gift of evangelism benefits others. Giving to someone in need, the gift of giving benefits others. Encouraging a brother with the gift of encouragement benefits that brother. Giving a ride to church, the talent to drive a car, willingness to, willingness to serve in that way benefits someone else. But, and this is not our focus, but serving also benefits us. It helps us to appreciate Christ's sacrifice. It teaches us that it's more blessed to give than to receive. And a selfish life, a selfless life, it's wrong. Selfless, selfless life, I'm sorry, guys, is a joyful. I went back through this and didn't even catch it. It's a joyful, satisfying, and content life. Oh, when Rusty goes wrong, number five. The person who serves only slightly because their heart is captured by the world. And they believe the lie that self-indulgence and self-focus brings greater joy. Their mixed priorities keep them from the higher satisfaction of self-sacrifice. Service gone wrong, number six. The person who serves to the point that is deemed acceptable by those around them rather than wagering everything on God's strength. End up doing it for others. And I don't know what this is. I think it's in there twice. Perseverance or persevere in doing good. Let's close by providing two points of application for us regarded serving in the church. First, persevere in service through Christ's power. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 13. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. Weariness is the result of depending on our own strength. And that's dangerous. I've watched many people burn out. It's easy to depend on our own strength. Let's close. It's, I don't know why I've got the slides. It's confusing here. I'm sorry. First, perse- first persevere in strength through Christ's power. To bear fruit, we must abide in Christ. Another point. And I don't know what happened to my slide there. To bear fruit, we must abide in Christ. So think of it like this. When we remind ourselves again and again of God's character, his goodness, his forbearance, what he's done for us in Christ, we are re-energized to serve him. That is a key point here. I'm going to read it again. When we remind ourselves again and again of God's character, His goodness, His forbearance, 
what he's done in Christ, his sacrifice on Calvary's cross, and the grace poured, lavished upon wicked sinners like you and me, that's when we're re-energized to serve him. That's why communion in part is so important because it is a remembrance of what Christ has done for us. It re-energizes us. We can serve. We serve him based on his strength because we're strengthened through what he's done for us. If we neglect our love for Jesus, then it's no surprise if our service becomes just another chore, even a burden. And that happens a lot of times. So ignite your hearts and minds to service with the truth of God's grandeur and His grace. That's what motivates us. Any other motivation will burn you out. Only Christ. And we come to the last service gone wrong. Exhausting ourselves in service in our own strength rather than being refreshed in our relationship with God. My encouragement is to structure your life so that you serve in a sustainable, sacrificial way. That may sound like a contradiction because sacrifice shouldn't feel easy. But what I mean is, as we sacrifice in costly ways, seek to position yourself so that you can continue in a posture of utter reliance on Christ that doesn't lead to burnout, but that leads to a contented, ongoing lifestyle of giving yourself up for God's glory while resting in Him. And the next thing, and we're not going to go into great detail because we are going to put together some things. The elders are going to put together some things over the next couple of weeks and get it out to all of you. It begins with covenant membership. We start putting people into places of responsibility. They need to be accountable to the body of Christ. Um, you can't have a person serving that can just do anything they want to do and, and not really be living for the Lord. If God's given you a heart to serve at Cornerstone, examine your heart. Pray. Pray that and evaluate yourself that you have the right motive. And pray for God's leading. If you know your spiritual gift or gifts, you know your talents, uh, you can begin to look for places to serve. And then talk to the elders about opportunities. You know, one of the best ways that over the years that I've discovered that ministries get started is when people come to the church leadership with a burden for a particular ministry that they've prayed about over a period of time, they've thought about, and God has convicted their hearts to say, how can I be used in the church? That's why it's so important to pray, to examine your heart, and um, then talk to the elders. Because, you know, the elders can start up ministry, say, we're going to do this, and we're going to do that, and say, you do this, and you do that, you know, and try to fill those gaps. But ministries best thrive 
and endure when they're begun by people with a burden for those ministries. So we're going to have some things. We certainly have some areas that need to be filled. Things like social media, all kinds of things that we need help with. But um, we want you to pray first. We want you to seek the Lord. Elders will post a list. And then in conclusion, the Lord Jesus set the example of self-sacrificial love. And for almost 2,000 years, God's people have faithfully served the church. They have been empowered by a love for God and His glory. Pray that God will lead us as a church as we seek to continue to demonstrate the love of Christ or the love of God in Christ. We are now a part of church history. And what we do, our hearts for the Lord, matters. It really matters. Some may come later in history if the Lord doesn't return. I hope that they will look back if they know about Cornerstone Church and they will be motivated to have a love for God and to serve one another in the body, to use spiritual gifts and talents for God's glory. Questions? Questions?